0: All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that uh, your word gives us light, shows us truth. Father, we ask that you would um, bless the reading and teaching of your word this morning here. And also at Gailey, Lord, be with uh, Pastor Randy as he's giving the word there. We ask you would um, lift up and build up your saints there as well. God, we thank you for your word that we can learn from it. And that we can be changed more to be like you when we leave this place. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. If you'll stand with me, let's read through this. And then we will get into the exegesis of Genesis chapter 26. 26 pretty, or 26. Genesis chapter 20. Not 26. We're going to 26 later. Preview. Foreshadowing. Okay. Genesis chapter 20. Here's what it says. God's word. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man, because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation too? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she, even she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom such a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you've done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God's not in this place and they'll kill me on account of my wife. But but indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. And every place, wherever we go, say of me, He's my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everyone. Thus, she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his male and female servants, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. That is the Lord's word. Okay, you may be seated. I'm going to try to exposit this today without my blood pressure getting too high. I can't give you any promises. (laughs) i'm sure you've never seen anyone who operates this way huh boy i have i've gotten a belly full of it over two and a half years i'm sure you've never seen this before huh we've never seen it before from abraham have we sure we have if it seems like deja vu it's because it is we're seeing it again where do we see this before well genesis chapter 12 he did the exact same thing in egypt He's lying. God comes to him specifically in a dream and says, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to protect you. And Abraham's like, great. Hey, by the way, wife, lie about me when we go into these lands so that nobody hurts me. God is going to protect you, but you think, no, I can't really trust in that. I'll have to concoct some lies for myself. Well, how righteous. Righteous. Here's the strange twi- twist of irony. Chapter 20 is the first time we even see the Philistines. This is the first time in scripture the Philistines are mentioned, and you know what we're seeing? We're seeing them be more righteous than Abraham. Uh, when we, we come to church, we've got a, um, we have this strange rule for our children. Uh, Sundays is the Lord's Day. I know that's a strange rule. I know it is. But that's our, our rule. And so when we watch videos or when we read books or whatever it is on Sunday that we do, it has to be focused on the Lord. So the only videos they can watch, like when we're coming into town, we've got the DVD player in our the big you know, Yukon, right? We're coming into town. It has to be Bible DVDs. We tell them, yeah, you can watch those any day, but on Sundays you can only watch the Bible DVD. Well, we have this children's Bible. It's really good. Well, it's animated, you know, and it, it tells basically the big stories of Scripture. But there is one place. That makes me angry. And I, I, to this day, I cannot go past that. I can't, I can't see it while I'm driving, but I can hear it back there, right? And every time I hear it, I have to speak up. And here's what it says. It gets to Abraham. and The little children's Bible says, Abraham, God chose Abraham because Abraham was such a righteous man. I'm like, what? What? God did not choose Abraham because he was righteous. And I have news for you, friend. God didn't choose you because you're righteous either. If you think the reason God has chosen to to reveal Christ to you, to call him to himself, to save you is because of your innate righteousness, you're probably not saved. (laughs) You are relying on what's called self-righteousness. You are not righteous in yourself. And you never have been. And I have bad news for you. You never will be. If you have any righteousness at all, it is the imputed righteousness of Christ, it is certainly not of you. Yeah, but after coming to Christ, I have done good and righteous things. That's true, and that's because the Bible says he who works in you is in you, both to will and do, to his good pleasure. He is the one working through you. When you're doing those good things, when you're treating your neighbor fairly, when you're Being honest with your neighbor, which Abraham was obviously not being. When you're dealing in honesty rather than half-truths, it's incredible to me to see people, they'll think, well, if I told a half-truth, it's technically not a lie. Yes, it is absolutely a lie. When you proffer information forward for the express purpose of deceiving someone else, you are a liar, period. And that's exactly what Abraham's doing here. You know what the good news is this morning? There is hope for you. There is hope for you because there is a Christ who can change you. And that's actually what we will see as we go on in Abraham's life. We will see, little by little, him changing. (coughs) God is changing him. What's sad is, by the time we get to chapter 26, here's a spoiler alert, we're going to see his son do the same things. I have news for you that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, um, a lesson in parenting that I have learned the hard way. We have four kids, six and under. Kids do not learn by you telling them X. The vast majority of learning children do is by imitation. You know how they learn to do whatever? They do what dad did. They do what mom does. You know, I have I have people that will come to me because I, I have, I teach sophomores, juniors, seniors, teach upper level sciences. So by the time they get to me, I'll have parents come, and this, this happens regularly, typically at least once or twice a year. I have a parent come to me and say, hey, you just got to help me out. How can I help you? My kid, man, my kid is just, they are just so rebellious. They just are so disrespectful. Oh, really? Where do you think they came from? It was not us. I taught them better, did you? I have news for you. Number one, they have a sin nature, so they're not above it. Number two, they have been discipled that way. They are imitating what they have seen, either from you or the people you have allowed them to be around. Is it always that way? No, not always, but that's by far the rule. It's not the exception. I mean, there are exceptions, but again, exceptions prove that there are rules, right? The exception proves the rule in this point. Okay, let's get back into this. Let's let's do this. Exposit this. Let's go be systematic before I just get on the soapbox and start raving. Twenty, verse one. Let's go there. From from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, listen. What did we just see in Genesis chapter nineteen? A little review here. What we saw in Genesis 19 was the destruction of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? <clears throat> and if I can break that up, that chapter is basically broken up into two separate events, right? In the first part of the chapter we see Lot coming out of Sodom. Right? The angels go down, "Hey, you've got to get out of here." He, he lingers, they finally say, no, you got to flee, don't even look back, which we talked about was not just glancing over your shoulder. He's saying, look, don't start fleeing and then sit and watch to see what's going to happen. That was what was meant by the Hebrew term there that's translated as look back. But his wife does, and she becomes a pillar of salt, in case you're wondering that she died. Okay, Perished. She perished in the destruction, along with him, right? So what happens? Lot and his two daughters actually make it to safety. And then what do we see? They may have come out of Sodom, but Sodom has not come out of them, has it? We see the two daughters get dead drunk, take advantage of him physically. Two nights in a row, they become pregnant, and they have little boys that would eventually found nations that would become great enemies of Israel. Now, what happens? Well, Abraham was dwelling in a place where he would have been on top of like some raised, like a plateau, raised plains. He could have looked down into the valley, into the cities of the plain down there and overseen the destruction. And for some reason, he decides, let's move. So they head west. Go west, young man. They head west and they eventually come into what today is south central Israel. Okay, It's the land of Canaan. (coughs) Gerar. (coughs) That was a Philistine Stronghold. Okay. The Philistines basically lived on the coast. They were great at um, sailing and they did a lot of trade because of that. Uh, there were actually other cultures that actually came from that. Okay. Carthage, I believe, at one time traced this lineage there. So anyway, this is a Philistine place. Abraham had been uh, living on the hills that overlooked the plains of Sodom. Now he's in basically south-central Canaan, or today we would call it Israel, right? South-central Israel. Abraham said of his wife, verse 2, She is my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Okay, here's something that I want to throw out there to you, because it comes up from time to time in my conversations with skeptics. The word Abimelech is not the guy's name. His name is not Abimelech. Abimelech is a title. He's very much like Pharaoh, right? The Egyptians would call their king the Pharaoh, right? And you could say the Pharaoh or you could just refer to him as Pharaoh, right? Go to Pharaoh and say this. It's the same thing with Abimelech. Go to Abimelech and say this. That's not his proper name. That's his title. He's the king. The kings of the um, Philistines were called Abimelech. And you'll see Abimelech in other places throughout the scriptures, in fact. Um, Here's why I mention that. You'll see a Philistine king called Achish, the king of Gath mentioned as the man that david seeks refuge with when he's running from saul but then later in psalm 34 the same man is called abimelech and i've had people say see look this is obvious the bible must be wrong because in one place it says it's achish and the other place it says it's abimelech which one was it well genius it's the same person okay okay if I say Trump and I say president, that's the same person being referred to. If I say Pharaoh or I say his actual first name, it's the same. It's exactly the same thing that's going on here. Achish is his proper name. Abimelech is his title. Okay. All right, now you know. So this is the first time we're introduced to the Philistines in Scripture, and in a grand twist of irony, we see the king of the Philistines having more integrity than Abraham. God did not choose Abraham because of his integrity. Because quite frankly... He didn't have a lot of it, and God would have to change him. Notice that Abraham slid back into his old deceiving ways. He's doing exactly what he did in chapter 12. Let's flip back there. Chapter 12, verse 11 says this about Abraham. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, Sarai's wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. This is I get picked on for this passage. I just want you all to know. The other elder, we have our own group chat, right? If We send stuff to each other. I preached about this a long time ago. I think we were still in our old building, actually, when I preached about this. And I said, hey, look, she's like 75. She must have been an incredibly beautiful woman because he's scared he's going to get killed over this woman. And she's 75. And what I said at the time was, I mean, she must have been pretty good looking. You know, she's a hot lady or something. I have never lived that down. Never. I will definitely not live that down today. These guys, they pick on me for this. But it's obvious. She must have been. She must have been quite a looker. 12 says, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you're my sister, so it might go well with me because of you, and my life may be spared for your sake. Hey, lie for me. It's not really a lie. It's a half truth. It's not really a lie. Technically, it's not a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. You're saying it for the express purpose of deceiving them. That is a lie. And you are a liar. And now his wife's going to get in on the action too. Sure, I'll I'll lie for you. He did tell me to do it. Why not? So she does. And she bears the price for it. Say you're my sister instead and it will go well with me. So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, I would love to know how it was that he figured out this was actually the man's wife. What is this that you have done to me? You've lied to me. Well, it's not technically a lie. I mean, she is my sister. Yeah, yeah, it's a lie. You put forth limited amount of information expressly to deceive me. You held back pertinent and necessary information expressly to deceive. To make sure that the truth, the whole truth of the matter didn't come out, and you think you're not lying. That's incredible. I've seen people do that. I've seen people not just do that, defend that behavior as that's righteous. Okay, if that's how immature in the faith you are, fine. Fine, that's not righteous. And it's shown to us in the scriptures as an example of not being righteous. This is not shown to you as an example to emulate. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Here then is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And we later learn that he actually got male and female donkeys and servants and all that stuff. Guess where they picked up the lady that becomes the thorn in his flesh? They picked it up from here. Had he not lied, he would have never had to even worry about Hagar and Ishmael. Because that's where he got Hagar, through whom Ishmael came. So here is Abraham repeating his folly. God is taking him and saying, "You, you failed that test. So now what I'm going to do is I'll just bring you back around and I'll bring you through that same test and see if you pass. Let me tell you something. Your life, Christian, is a series of tests and reviews. Right? You take the test and you get a little time to be able to meditate on it and. And fellowship with God and, hey, how how'd I do in that circumstance? I didn't really do all that great. If you didn't do all that hot, rest assured, you're going to have a similar circumstance coming up. And you're going to find something out. Typically, the difference between doing what's right and doing what's wrong actually boils down to doing what's hard and doing what's easy. You know why a lot of people get themselves into situations where they do what's evil like this? Well, that's just easier if i If I say the truth, I mean that's that could cause conflict that, that could cause some tough times it cause a little bit of you know friction between me and my coworkers, between me and my family, between me and the, my friends, between me and the people I love. Why should I do that? Uh, because you're called to be an imitator of Christ. It's not always between. You know, malice of forethought between what's good and what's evil. A lot of times what's evil is just simply what's easy. My, my grandpa used to tell me this all the time. My dad would repeat it to me all the time. And their words ring in my ears a lot because of this. Over and over he would say, son, men are like rivers. They become crooked when they take the path of least resistance. You know what? That's often true. And that's what we see Abraham doing. It's the path of least resistance. I don't have to worry about it. It's just a little lie. No big deal. God's given him another chance to go through the same test that he fails before. And rather than dealing honestly and trusting God to watch over him, which God has promised him to do specifically. God has spoken to him in a voice. God came to him and told him, I will protect you. Do not tell me that Abraham is just living the life of faith here. He's not. He's reverting to his old ways. He's backsliding. He is purposefully deceiving the king because in his mind, the king is actually more powerful than the promise of God. Did God make this promise to you, Abraham? Yes. Then trust him to keep it. And Abraham waffles a little bit on this. He's acting out of fear again. He's being a liar again. He's purposefully withheld necessary information for the express purpose of deceiving Abimelech. He's withheld information to make sure that the truth doesn't come out. And then later he's going to somehow justify that as if that's righteous. Right? Abimelech comes and says, why did you do this? Well, no, she really is my sister. I mean, that wasn't a lie. Yes, it was. The way you used that information was to specifically deceive That is a lie. In case you're not sure what that's called. I shouldn't actually have to say that. Okay. But obviously I need to. Deliberately misleading someone is not honest. Deliberately using half-truths to mislead people is not honest. Deliberately withholding pertinent and necessary information to mislead others is not honest. And by the way, at least in this body, that will stop. One way or another I've gotten a belly full of it over the years I'm to the point I won't tolerate it Proverbs 25:26 says a righteous man who falters Before the wicked is like a murky spring And a polluted well And that's exactly what we see with Abraham Here he is living in front of this wicked king And he is being Deceptive and manipulative He's being a deceiver what do you think would happen if Abimelech comes back and squares up all the wrongs and then uh, Abram says, hey, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you about uh, our God we serve. Oh, your God is a God of truth? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got a God of truth. Interesting. You're to be an imitator of him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. What do you think that would do to his witness? What do you think it'll do to your witness if you decide to live this way? Yeah, I've told them the gospel. Don't know why they don't believe it. Maybe they don't believe you. Maybe you've ruined your reputation so much that what comes out of your mouth doesn't really have much, you know, traction. That, has, that is not a reflection on God. That is not a reflection on the gospel of Christ. That's a reflection on Us individually Notice something Abimelech fears God More than Abraham does in this Abimelech rises the next day Tells his servants what happens and says Go get him let's get this thing Let's get this squared up Do you think Abimelech did that Because he was so you know overwhelmed And impressed by Abraham I don't think so But I do think he was overwhelmed and impressed By God He by the laws of their lands, he could have put him to death. Deliberately deceived the king? You died over that stuff in those times, okay? Instead, he gives him a bunch of money. I do love the way he says it, though. Ah, a little sarcasm. Yeah, I gave all that silver to uh, your uh, brother. Instead of the husband, right? Just just to, just to you know, boop, just poke that one more time. That lie that you just sowed. Proverbs 6 says this, this, these six things the Lord hates, just seven are an abomination to him. A proud or haughty look. Interesting, the look can be one of the seven things that he hates. It is. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. I don't know, like how to deceive your neighbor. Five, feet that are swift in running to evil. Six, a false witness who speaks lies. Seven, one who sows discord among brethren. I don't know, by saying things that aren't quite true. Holding back necessary information to make it look like something it's not. It's more than half the list. We would have a different list. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Homosexual marriage. I'm not saying God doesn't hate that. But that doesn't make the list. The list is very serious about lying. I would love to go more, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. It's going to get my blood pressure up. It's not going to do it. God came to Abimelech, verse 3, in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man. Because of the woman who you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. In other words, he takes her and puts her in his harem. Okay, she's living with the other ladies now. But he has not actually, you know, brought her into his room for, you know, relations, if you will. And he said, Lord, will you kill or will you slay an innocent nation too? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister, and she herself said, he's my brother? In other words, both of them told me this same lie. How was I supposed to know any different? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, have I done this? It is very, very rare that someone can look at God and say, no, I did this innocently, and God says, you're right. Right? Job tried that. How'd that work out? Uh, Job were you there Do you know me Do you know what I have planned Were you there when I built the foundations of the earth were you... That's not what happens here Abimelech a pagan king I didn't, know any, I didn't know any different And God says this Yes I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart And it was me Who kept you from sinning against me Therefore I did not let you Touch her This seems like a great place for me to camp out and discuss God's sovereignty. But I'm not going to camp out and discuss God's sovereignty. I think it should be very, very apparent and plain. Seven, now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. That's also the first time we are introduced to the term prophet in the scriptures. He is a prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. Notice something. Abraham is a prophet. Abraham is the one in sin. Abraham is the one who needs to repent. And God doesn't change his mind about Abraham. And yet, God doesn't let him off the hook of his sin either. He doesn't justify it away. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say, hey, it's fine. I love him. I've chosen him, so it's okay. Okay. He very plainly puts it out there so we can see, no, this is sin. And yet, God still decides to love him. It doesn't shake God's plan for him. I think that should be the most encouraging, uplifting, edifying thing you read or hear today. You can do some pretty stupid things, and i got news for you. You have, and you will. (laughs) <laughs> and God will, in his love for you, he will bring you to repent. He will expose your sin. You know why? Because he's going to change you. He's going to bring it out. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will, no doubt about it. It will be exposed. And the question is, when it is, how will you respond? Will you have the guts to repent of it? Or you just try to justify yourself, because that's easy. Return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die. You (coughs) and all who are yours. That's kind of a play on words, by the way. Because the word Abimelech literally means father king, or my father is the king. It was a title that also denoted this person was part of the royal lineage. Right, And God's basically saying, if you don't give her back, this royal lineage that's part of your title will no longer be in existence. You won't be here. Your offspring won't be here. No one in your family is going to be in the royal lineage ever again. You and all who are yours will perish. God's telling him if he doesn't comply, not only will he die, but so will all the royal family. So Abimelech rises early in the morning. Verse 8, and he calls all his servants and he told them all these things and the men were very much afraid. They feared God. That should be one of the attributes of God's people. We should fear God. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That is a command of scripture. Right? We should be the people who tremble at his word. We should be the people who, when God says to do something, we take it very seriously. And instead, you know what we're seeing in this passage? God says to do something and who's taking it seriously? Abimelech. That should be a slap in the face. And it will be later. Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. Sure shouldn't be done by people who claim to know Christ. This sure shouldn't be done by someone who is living in faith toward God. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see or what did you have in view? Why would you do this? If Abimelech takes Abraham to task for lying and for good reason. What does Abraham say? I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. B- Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. He's justifying himself. See, it's really not a lie. Don't don't, don't be mad. I really didn't lie to you. Technically, it's true. Oh, does that make it better? Oh yeah, that, that's not a lie. Okay. That's how the best lies are done. A little bit of truth, wrap it up in a lot of manipulation, make a great lie. Got to have a little bit of truth so you can sell it. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, "This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of him, he's my brother." So he got her in on the act early on, right? Can you imagine I was like the I don't know like you know these are Prerequisite, hey, we're going to get married. Take you to be my lawfully wedded husband and I'll lie for you. Good. Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. What graciousness. Look, you can stay here. You can live here. Dwell wherever you like. But stop lying to me. Sad. Abimelech said, Behold, my lands before you dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he says, I love this. (laughs) Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. See for yourself. I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you're vindicated. Thus, she was rebuked. It should be a rebuke when we see someone who's not of faith acting more faithful than someone who is. God gives Abraham and Sarah a lesson that they would never forget. A pagan king rebukes them for their lack of integrity in their lives. What a sad commentary on the life of a believer. It must have made an indelible impression, though. Because we don't see them doing it again That's the last time that we'll read About it in Abraham's life It's interesting to see how it worked Because the first time He brought Abraham and Sarai Or Abram and Sarai through this thing They got out of it without any shame The second time it's like You know You didn't learn your lesson the first time Obviously you need a little tougher paddling and they're basically shamed, rebuked by a pagan king. But we do see a change. That's something, something that we would, you know, love to see. We like to see that. It must have made an indelible impression. What the problem is, what's crazy is, the next time we see this exact same thing, it's from their son, who has up to this point not been born, right? So where in the world did he learn this? Well, I'm sure it came through, you know, the stories about mom and dad. Remember, the servants are there, too. Abraham wasn't just by himself. And the king comes and takes her as a wife. This dude has been through battles. He has defeated kings. He has strong armed men. They're not just going to let somebody walk into the camp and steal his wife away. Unless he goes and tells his pals, hey, by the way, I got this lie going on. Uh, I told, you know, I told my wife to say that she's my sister. And so if somebody tries to come and, and, you know, take her as wife, hey, just just stand down, boys. You think any of the guys in that camp must have been uh, impressed by that? You think that would have gotten told about? You think stories would have been told later? You think Isaac ever learned about that? think my kids will ever hear stories about me? Of when they weren't around? Yeah, they will. You know what's going to make the difference between whether they emulate that or not? Whether I'm willing to say, don't do that. That was wrong of me. If I'm willing to own up to my sin and they go ahead and emulate that behavior, well, then that's on them. But if I, like a fool say, well, I had good reason for that. You don't you understand. It wasn't really, it was really a lie, technically. Then don't be surprised when they're 14, 15, 16, and they're doing that to you. Oh, man, my daughter was, she was, do you know she didn't tell me about this? They were hanging out with, them. I told them not to hang out with these people, and they were. And she, I asked, who were you hanging out with? And she listed the other three, but she didn't tell me about them. Interesting. You ever done that to her? You ever done that in view of her? Kids are absolutely excellent at learning by imitation. Has she learned that by imitating you? Have my kids ever learned anything from me by imitation that was poor? Let me give you an example. This is when my son, in fact, we actually had this talk a couple nights ago. I don't remember how this came up. When my son, when Jericho, who's now almost five, when he was about two, so it's a couple years ago, I'm outside building fence. And he had a little pair of pliers, a little toy pair of pliers, right? Dad, I want to come help you. You bet. So his version of help was he'd take his toy pliers and just clean, clamp them on the fence, kind of pull back and forth, you know, and he'd clamp them on the next piece, pull back and forth. Hey, great help, right? And I'm out there and I'm clipping this fence to this fence post and the wire ties are too short and they're not, they're not, you know, bending and then I'm, I'm clamping down so hard I'm twisting the wire tie and the wire tie breaks. Arr! get the next one, I start getting it, it breaks again. I get so mad. I throw a temper tantrum. 40-year-old Christian pastor throwing a temper tantrum in the pasture. That's exactly what I did. I've got my pliers with me. it. Bam! And I just throw them down. I'm you know mad, kicking them. Specifically, I, it's a good thing I said that word, not something worse, I suppose. But I did. And my son, who's helping me with the fence, you know what he was doing? He's watching. Not real sure what to say, but he watched me the whole time. A couple days later, we're back inside the house. He's mad at something. He goes and finds his pliers, his little plastic pair of pliers, comes out in the front, spikes them. Dead damn it! No idea where he learned that. I knew instantly when I saw that. That's a replay of what I just did. Where did he learn that at? Where could he have possibly learned that? Whew. I was instantly convicted and angry. You Ever been there? You're a parent, I bet you have. I bring him in there and i like, son, we can't do that. I know where you saw that. I know I did that. And I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. I was sinning when I did that. And I'm sorry that you saw me do that. And I don't ever want to see you do it again. And then it becomes, why not? And the truth is, you have to tell them what you don't want to have ever told them. And that is, because I want you to be better than me. I don't want you to be just like me. I want you to go beyond what I am. I want you to serve God better. I want you to be more faithful. That's a hard conversation to have. The truth is, the next time we see this behavior, we see it from his own son. Genesis 26. 6 through 11, he says this, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, same place. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She's my sister. The same lie that his daddy said was... Rebecca actually his sister? No. He's just copying what daddy did. For he was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought lest the men of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful. Man, this is like woo, deja vu. 3.0, right? That's the third time we see this. Now it came to pass when he'd been there a long time. He kept up this lie for a long time. you ever seen people do that? Have you ever done that? Speak or live out a lie and then you got to keep acting like it's true? Keep going and keep going and keep going? Maybe you get convicted. I can't say anything because I've said this to everybody for so long. After he was there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac. Showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously she's your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you've done? One of the people might have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on all of us. So Abimelech charged all of his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. That is a sad commentary. Listen, I'm going to say this Our lives are noticed by our children They are Not only the things that we say But the things that we do They're great imitators I'm going to tell you I'm glad that they imitate my wife a lot She's an incredible woman Loves the Lord Beautiful I kind of know what it's like to be Abraham I figure Abraham must have been, you know, average looking Right? There's times where we go out and My wife is like, you know, she's dressed like a T-shirt and, you know, he's like in paint shorts. She's like, oh, I need to change. I'm like, it's okay. You've got on a coat and tie. I know. If you're dressed like the people at Walmart and I'm with you and I'm all dressed up, people be like, you know, she's pretty good looking. He's not as much, but he is dressed, but maybe there's something else going on there, you know. I feel like we can kind of even this up, right? I know I married way above myself. So, hey, however, I can even this thing up, right? No, children are great imitators. They're great imitators in how they learn, and that's the that's the major way that children learn. They imitate. When you hear a high school when I have a high school kid come in and tell me uh they don't like Christianity because of X, I darn well know they didn't come up with it themselves. They've watched whatever YouTube video or they've read whatever book. Well now, very rarely is it because they read a book. They watch the YouTube video, okay? And you know, the latest, greatest idiot atheist has said X, Y, Z, and so they come in and they parrot that argument. So I don't get mad at them for parroting that argument. They're imitating what they've seen. And you start pointing out, there's some serious holes in this argument. Have you thought about this? You know, no, I hadn't I hadn't thought Well of course they haven't thought about that. It wasn't on the YouTube video. Do you understand where I'm going with this? We are the same way, even as adults, we pattern ourselves after people, don't we? Paul, the apostle, knew that. What does he tell Timothy? Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? I know you're going to pattern yourself. So pattern yourself after the way I follow Christ. I hope my children do that. I hope they pattern themselves after the way I follow Christ when I'm being faithful. <laughs> I don't want them to pattern themselves after me when I'm doing what's wrong. But if, if I really want that to stick, then I'm going to have to be honest with them. When I do fail, aren't I? And so are you. Our children will imitate us. And you know who else will imitate you? Other believers. You know what the problem is when you live in sin? Other believers will follow your example. You may only have been saved for a year or two years, but then your buddy gets born again, and they're patterning themselves after you, Right? They're not just learning by what you're telling them. They're not just learning by the words that you read to them. They're learning by watching your life. They're patterning themselves after you. Our children do the same thing. And we need to be conscious, self-conscious, to be putting out a faithful pattern. Faithfully following the Lord. 17 says, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife and the female slaves so that they all bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. There's an entire sermon in this two verses, and I'm not going to have time to preach it, obviously. Part of the way that God showed Abimelech he was under a curse was that he closed up the wombs of his household. Do you know what we would do in our culture if God closed up the wombs of our household? A lot of us would be like sing and dance. Praise the Lord, we're not having kids. Because we live in a culture that wants sex without children. It's true. We live in a culture that wants easy physical relationship without children. Children aren't seen as a blessing. They're the responsibility that comes. Oh, my goodness gracious. You could have kids from that. We had our fourth kid. I don't know how many times I heard when I was at school from my colleagues. Y'all don't know what causes that? Like, yeah, I teach anatomy. I know what causes that. But I also think children are a blessing. I'm not upset that we've had four children, okay? We live in a culture that basically says children are a burden. Someday you'll probably have to have at least one because that's what grown-up people do. But listen, dude, don't have more than that. I mean, if you have two, that's the tops. It really is. I promise you, the first time I really started getting like um, questions about our kid was when we had our third kid. like That's three kids in like four years. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I know. It's nuts. It's as if married people have children sometimes. It's crazy. The early Philistine culture was literally more righteous than ours. We live in a culture that absolutely does not understand who God is. Do not. By the way, that's one of the reasons I'm very excited about uh, starting this um, series on the attributes of God. By the way, I should have said, uh, Randy Tyler's group and my group both will meet here tonight. We'll start that tonight at 6.30. I am excited about that. You know why? Because if you don't understand the attributes of God, you don't understand the God you're serving. Let me give you an example. I had a debate at East Central a few years ago, and there was uh, four of us, and then the moderator was an atheist. So there was a, a Jew, uh Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, me, a Catholic priest, and then the moderator was a very outspoken atheist professor. And one of the things that they asked that the moderator asked, the atheist guy asks, all four of us, was, do you guys all serve the same God? And I get to be the last one to speak. That was fun. Everybody's like, yep, yep, we do, yep, yep, we do, yep, yep, we do. Uh, No. And that did not make the Muslim in particular very happy. He was not a happy guy about that because he kept going back to that and like, no, we really do, you know, that kind of deal. What I said was this. Well, we all say the word God. But let's say that you told everybody you came to the debate tonight and you saw Paul Wilson there. Like, oh, yeah, I know Paul. Yeah, yeah, Paul Wilson, you know, he's like five foot five, you know, blonde hair. Uh, no, that's not Paul. Paul's like six foot five, you know, very little hair. Incredibly handsome. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> no, the point is this you may have said those words, but you're not talking about the same person. Well, God's not a person. Oh, really? We are talking about this, a different kind of God. People make a God in their own image. Uh, In fact, last night, we were reading through for family devotions last night. We're actually reading through where Moses comes down off the mountain, right? He goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain. He's up there so long. It's Exodus, I think, what, 32? No. twelve. I don't remember. Anyway, it's in Exodus. But he's up there so long. That everybody goes, we don't know what happened to him. What are we going to do? And so Aaron tells him, hey, bring all your gold to me and and I'll make something for us. And he casts the gold. The Bible says he takes all this gold, melts it, and then he fashions it with a tool. Okay. He fashioned it and he makes a golden calf. And he does not go to the people in Israel and say, look, here's Baal who brought us out of Egypt. No, he says, this is the Lord. He has made a false God. He's made an idol. And told everybody, no, this is God. And Moses is not happy when he comes down the mountain, right? Hey, Aaron, what happened? You know what Aaron tells him? Man, we took all the gold and I threw it in the fire and this calf just came out. Just popped itself out. It, it was miraculous. Now, here's what's weird. If he'd have acted like Abraham, you know what he'd said? Moses eventually, obviously, knows that's a lie. Well. You know, I mean, we did take all the gold and put it in the fire. I mean, that was not untrue. I mean, technically, it's not a lie. Of course it was a lie. And people died for that lie, by the way. Right? Moses says, hey, I know how we'll get this taken care of. Strap a sword to your thigh. And if you're willing to do God's work, even though it's bloody and nasty, come to me. And the Levites, the Levites come to him. One of them being Aaron. Who realized obviously what he did was sin. And obviously had repented at that point. And it probably saved his life. Because then they said, now take your sword and all these people that are worshiping that calf, go through the camp and kill them. Yeah, that's what the holy, just, same, yesterday, today and forever, Jesus, the same one, that's what he commanded. He took it very seriously. I hope that our lives will not be spent teaching our children to worship a false concept of God. Because there are a lot of churches today where that happens. There are a lot of movements today where that happens. Where God is is painted as something entirely different than what he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. Let me close by saying this. Let us be faithful examples to those who are watching let us be faithful examples to our children let us be faithful examples to the other members of god's people let us be faithful examples to the younger ones in the faith who are watching us who are learning how to walk in truth by watching us let us let us give a faithful pattern that they can walk after and when we fail and by the way you will fail i fail You will fail. All of us will fail. But when we fail, let us have the courage to own up to it and say, no, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done it that way. And I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to be faithful. I want you to walk through that same situation and do it right. Not, I want you to grow up and, hey, when you get in that same situation, lie the same way. Let us be faithful in the example we set. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we ask you would make us people of your word, and we ask you would make us faithful examples. We know that we fail, and we ask you would give us the courage to be able to own up to that, the courage to be able to say, yeah, I was wrong. Let us set faithful examples that others can come behind and pattern themselves after, Give us courage to speak up. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.